You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Live Free Now show. I'm your host, John Bush, and once again, we'll be bringing you news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today, we have a great show lined up. We're going to be talking to Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Of course, that event that happened on September 11, 2001, it's almost 20 years ago now. And the impact is still reverberating. Many people probably don't think about it at all. A lot of people, especially those who lost loved ones, probably think about it all the time. And there's still a large contingent movement of truth seekers that are hoping to bring some people to justice and get justice for those that that fell that day. A whole lot has happened since then. We're now in the midst of this COVID pandemic Plandemic, some would call it, and there's a whole lot of the same tactics and strategies and deception that's being laid out. And with 9-11, we had the expansion of the police state and surveillance state, and now we see the expansion of this biomedical surveillance state. So it's, it's important that we never forget what happened that day. And for those of you that aren't familiar with what really happened that day, I hope this interview will, will be illuminating for you. And for those of you that are aware of what took place, on 9-11. I hope that we can give you some more ammunition in your personal efforts to get the truth out there. So let's get right down to it. Without further ado, let's bring on Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. How are you, Richard? Doing good, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. You guys have been busy at work lately and never letting up. The Like I mentioned in the intro, this took place 20 years ago, and it's good to see that there's still a lot of people holding the banner of 9-11 Truth and, and doing some really significant work, actually, not just sharing posts and stuff on online, which I guess passes as activism these days. But why don't, uh, before we get down into the nitty gritty, if you would share a little bit about your background, um, your professional career, and then what it was that piqued your interest and caused you to question the official narrative of 9-11. Yeah, you bet. Um, I'm a 30-year architect, member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization representing now a growing body of more than 3,000 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. Most people don't even know about the third tower that collapsed on 9-11. So we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, that's quite a uh, uh, an opener for um, for a lot of people, especially yeah. architects and engineers who never even you know, heard of it. I mean, this is like the third worst structural failure in modern history. So we've been at this now for 14 years, John. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. And so you were already an architect. And what was it that piqued your interest? Was it was it building seven? What did you come across that caused you to question things and dig a little deeper? I heard David Ray Griffin okay. on the radio in um, 2006. Right on. 
Actually, I think it was March 29th, <laughs> to be exact. Oh, um, you remember the exact day. It must have been, <laughs> had a big impact. It, it was huge. I mean, I was just stunned. I'd never heard any alternative theory as to how these towers came down. And I'm, I'm just driving down the road, uh, thought I'd listen to KPFA, even though I'm a flag-waving Reagan Republican. You know, I, I listen to uh, free speech radio every once in a while. And he, here he was being interviewed on Bonnie Faulkner's Guns and Butter show. And he was talking about the latest research that Graham McQueen had done, uh, which is the uh, examining the transcripts of the oral histories of the first responders uh, who had, were interviewed in October of 2001. But we didn't even know about what they said or, or there was no transcripts until August of 2005. And so then the New York Court State of Appeals forced the city of New York to release this information. And then we find out that 156 of these first responders are talking about all of these explosions, massive explosions before the towers collapsed. I mean, immediately before and, and, and often even well before that. But flashes of light they're seeing, too, indicative, of course, of controlled demolitions, which is the evidence that we're going to be talking about today. So I was just stunned. I had to pull my van over into the parking lot, and I just listened to this radio interview. I, I, I had to know if this is true or not. I mean, if this is true, that would mean that we all have been deceived. And if it wasn't true, it, it would mean that this elderly gentleman had some sort of an axe to grind, but he was speaking the next day at the Grand Lake Theater. And I gathered a friend and went over there to see him. And there were 600 people packed into this theater in Oakland, California. Wow. And it was amazing. I, I couldn't believe uh, what I was hearing from these people who turned me away, actually, because it was packed and wow. I had to go home and listen on the live stream. I just did more and more research, uh, and boy, did my world turned upside down. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why fewer people seem to understand what happened that day, although it's a significant number of people that do, especially nowadays, um, is because it's just such a big lie and such a big thing that um, criminal elements within the U.S. government or within foreign intelligence agencies could have pulled this off. It's so, it seems so far-fetched that a lot of people don't even allow it to enter their their consciousness or to contemplate that. Um, but, yeah. you know, when you really dig deep, deep, and, you know, I've been involved in 9-11 Truth since 2002 when I caught a documentary, 9-11 Road to Tyranny by old Alex Jones on cable access way back in the day. He's from Austin. I'm here in Austin or he lives in Austin. And uh, that was a big eye opener. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate about architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, which we'll get in depth into, is that you guys focus on the empirical evidence and facts and science, right? Not speculation or these random theories or why it happened. And and I think that's really important because it cuts out a lot of opportunity to to kind of uh, kookify, as I like to call it, to, to make it seem like it's ridiculous. It's like, no, we have the scientific evidence here. And I definitely want to talk to you about the University of Alaska Fairbanks research as well. But before we get into the reality and the real science behind things, can you first share what 
uh, your view is of the official story in air, air quotes, how the buildings collapsed according to FEMA and the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And then we can go from there. Sure. There, there's, um, there's, there's building seven first. And we didn't have the official, the official report come out on building seven for seven years after 9-11. Wow. This football was, I mean, totally fumbled and tried, they tried to pick it up again and it got transferred from FEMA who said, you know, we, we, uh, uh, the, the, this is this is this is not clear. This our best hypothesis yeah. of how this building came down had a has a low probability of occurrence. Well, they <laughs> kind of came up with the pancaking collapse early on, which uh, NIST clarified and um, and said uh, no. This what happened in this building due to fires, and there were some fires in this building, but. By observation, they were few, small, and scattered. NIST built these fires up into a raging uh, inferno uh, and, um, and and lied seriously on their simu- fire simulations and the photographs that they used, et cetera, et cetera, to, to enhance these fires. But they said that these fires caused a girder to be pushed off of, well, long span beams to to push this girder off of its seat on this column 79. And then floor 13 falls on 12 and so on for nine floors. And then column 79 buckles. And then the whole building, well, the instability travels upward all the way to uh, the east penthouse above. And, and then... Uh, the it travels laterally across this football field size building in less than six seconds and and hollowing out the building essentially um and then the whole building comes down uh, as as we see which nist finally acknowledged after having denied this for years and years uh that it came down at free fall acceleration yeah so uh, that's essentially the official story in a nutshell. And there's so many things wrong. We can talk about that uh, now, if you'd like, or we can switch over to the official story about Twin Towers. Maybe we should stick with Building 7. Yeah, Building 7. I mean, build, if, if you can show that Building 7 alone was brought down by controlled demolition, of course, the implication is that somebody had to have access to the building and that that group or people or association or company that had access it, probably wasn't al-Qaeda, right? So something is fishy. I just, uh, you mentioned how they have shoddy science. I just want to show, this is actually a paper that I did back in college. And um, I don't remember what year it was, but it was way early on. And this is an excerpt from the National Institute of Standards and Technology in 2005. And I believe they're talking about World Trade Center 1 and 2 here. And what they did, as you know, they did these simulations. And they, they even say whenever the simulations that they did didn't produce a collapse, a total collapse, they tweaked the variable. So I just wanted to read this because I think it's really evident of the science that they used. It says, to the extent that the simulations deviated from the photographic evidence or eyewitness reports, the investigators adjusted the input, but only within the range of physical reality. Thus, for instance, the pulling forces on the perimeter columns by the sagging floors were adjusted. What do you, what do you make of that, Richard? Well, that's that's what they've been proven to have done uh, in, in the most gross and fraudulent ways. It's not consistent with reality what they have done. Uh, we actually filed a request for information 
well, request for information and a FOIA request. But they wrote back saying that they couldn't release their computer input data uh, because it might jeopardize public safety. That's the only out that this federal agency had for denying a, a FOIA request. And so, wait, wait a minute. Doesn't it? Doesn't it jeopardize public safety if you refuse to turn over this information to the architects and engineers who are tasked with ensuring the public safety? After all, if this building could come down by fire and fire alone, no plane hit this building, uh, then there are similarly designed buildings throughout the world, mm -hmm. hundreds of them, that uh, could be imperiled. Uh, and should be this should be the most studied building failure in history. Yep. Again, we don't have jet fuel burning in this fire, in this building. So yeah, I I think that's uh, a, a, an important note. But w what they did, uh, if with regard to Building Seven, uh, in their report, is is uh, gross negligence and fraudulence highlighted by the theory itself. Uh, starting with the exaggeration and and the mis of these fires, um, which um, they claim it, that they were burning uh, for an hour and a half in their fire simulation uh, around column seventy nine, so that they could get the heat and the damage to the columns. Well, they also acknowledged separately that such fires didn't persist in any one location for twenty for for more than 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, that's all the fuel there is to burn in these, in these buildings, modern mm. office buildings. Yeah. So then they put all of the heat, 1600 degrees Fahrenheit into the beams in just a second and a half mm -hmm. in their computer model. That's not reality. No. Uh, and that forced the beams, the long span beams, 50 feet long to expand instead of sag. But they also ignored the fireproofing that's on these beams. Cementitious fireproofing would keep those beams from sagging or expanding. That's the whole purpose of putting it. And, and in this case, in Building 7, no airplane knocked off the fireproofing, which is their, their famous reason for losing the fireproofing over in the Twin Towers. Then uh, these beams, uh, if they if they could have expanded, uh, they couldn't have pushed the girder off of its seat on column 79 because that girder had shear studs tying it every couple of feet to the concrete slab up above. It couldn't have been pushed uh, no way, no how. But let's say that, but those are proven to have been there by the shop drawings, but let's say that they were there and this girder could have been pushed. Well, it also would have expanded and been trapped by the side plates on each side of column 79. It couldn't have been pushed off because of that reason also. When this says, well, um, they, they have a reason, a reason for that, which makes absolutely no sense at all. They, they, we, we submitted a request for correction, which highlights all of this in specific form. It's on our website at ae911truth.org. But there's also key structural elements in addition to that that they omit, like the, the, the stiffeners uh, that keep uh, the web from crippling. It also keeps the flange from folding. NIST claimed that it didn't need to be pushed all 12 inches off of its seat, only half of that because the flange then folded as it came off 
as the center of the beam moved past the edge of the seat. So, um, but that flange would have been supported by the uh, st stiffener that was welded there and again shown on the shop drawings. But let's say that wasn't there and the, the, the girder could have been pushed off. Well, the floor 13 wouldn't have fallen on, on, on 12 because there's, it would require 10 times the dynamic force to break those connections down below. So it wouldn't have broken those connections and started the progressive collapse, which NIST claims was this initiation of failure here. Man. So but let's say that could have happened. And, and you, you wouldn't have had floor 13 falling on 12, 12 on 10 and so on for nine floors. Well, let's say that could have happened. And then floor and then this column 79 buckles. Uh, because it's not supported anymore. And then all of a sudden, there's 400 structural steel connections failing all the way up to the roof structure. And in and, and their computer model, they show this just like a sandcastle with a fire hose on it. I mean, it, it, stru structural steel systems don't behave this way. And they don't they wouldn't give up all the way across the building. And even if they did, you would have had massive breaking up of granite panels and windows uh, on a huge scale and the crumpling of the exterior structural steel system. So this this would have been what you would have seen in the videos, but you don't. If you want to show the video, it comes down straight, uniformly, symmetrically, just like a classic controlled demolition. It's down to the bottom in six and a half seconds. And again, that's at free fall acceleration. What does that wow. mean? That means it, it's coming down as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, play the video. Go ahead and continue yeah. on with this. Yeah, that means that not one of those 80 columns in that building gave any resistance. Here's the East Penthouse collapsing first, six seconds before the overall building comes down. There's nothing betraying that there's a structural collapse underneath that East Penthouse. It has been proven by the University of Alaska to be a an isolated event. Perhaps, and, then, and they do that in controlled demolitions. They actually take out the penthouse uh, first because it, it can. It's so heavy the equipment up there. It can cause the building to topple uh, if it if it doesn't get lowered its center of gravity there. And so then what you see actually here is a half a second prior to the overall collapse of this building right there is the entire core structure uh, highlighted on top by the uh, West Penthouse and screen wall right about now, half a second before the overall right now, uh, before the overall comes down. That indicates that the entire core structure has 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 given up it, somehow it, it it's been removed uh somewhere uh in the building uh uh up top or or in or down low we don't quite know that yet uh, but this is very different a very different scenario than this is telling us happened and we can see it right there in the video that means uh that you know a half a second early you have the interior structural steel columns taken out and then the exterior and that's how you get what you see in the video there wow it almost seems like based on all of the hoops that they had to jump through to come up with this improbable explanation of the collapse 
like if we apply Occam's razor, it's actually more simple to think that it was brought down by controlled demolition, right? If you take out the implications of that, that seems to make more sense based on the empirical evidence that we see. We actually have a question from uh, from the Facebook audience. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. And I also want to shout out the audience that's tuned in on DLive, uh, Live, as well as Float on the Conscious Resistance. But here's the question, and maybe uh, in answering this question also, uh, Richard, you can um, share a little bit about the story of the day, right? Because Building 7 wasn't hit by a plane and it didn't collapse around the same time as the other buildings. In fact, it collapsed quite a bit later. But uh, Robert Dumont on Facebook asks, how did the fire start in Building 7? Well, there were uh, large eight-ton and four-ton structural steel sections thrown out of the tower, ejected out of the Twin Towers, the North Towers closest. And they were trailed by thick white smoke clouds. They were on fire. Structural steel is not flammable under conditions outside of a, a forge or something. And so we're talking about uh, uh, incredible here's these ejections on the left you actually see building seven uh, and you see the the uh, the ejections on the left heading toward building seven so presumably that's what caused the fires um, uh, the question is what are those and we'll talk about those 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 sections when we get to the twin towers but that's um that's how these fires uh, got uh, started and you might want to even show how few small and scattered these fires were, though. Yeah, it wasn't a raging inferno. You could see isolated flat fires on some of the stores, not on stories, not by any means on all of the stories or engulfing an entire part. And I think one of the most telling things is how symmetrical the collapse of Building 7 was. If this was some random occurrence and there were even if there were heavy fires that were scattered throughout the building, it, why would it collapse in on itself in such a symmetrical, quick, smooth fashion? Like whoever did that controlled demolition, they, they're probably pretty damn good at their job, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, yeah. symmetrical failures do not uh, follow from unplanned events. As one of our fire protection engineers, Scott Granger, says, one of our 3,000 petition signers. No, in order to get symmetry, you have to, with, with, within a, a very small fraction of a second, remove all the core columns. And then about a second after that, the exterior columns. And in any deviation in that pattern, the building will begin to fall over, as buildings do when they are on fire. Uh, we've never lost a steel frame high-rise uh, fireproofed building. Um, but um, say in wood frame buildings, uh, the, the, the building will fall over in stages uh, and it won't go straight down through the cold, hard, intact tons of, of, of structure below the, the fire itself. So this is, in fact, you, you, you might show a video of comparing uh, the controlled demolition uh, uh, a series of controlled demolitions to building seven. It looks exactly like the old hotels in Las Vegas. It doesn't look anything like a fire collapse and, and we don't even have a, a, a building a, a skyscraper that's collapsed. Yeah. Um, that due to fire. In fact, there's been um, uh, dozens and dozens of much hotter, larger and longer lasting fires 
uh, in these buildings that have never collapsed uh, and uh, due, due to such. Oh, here you go. Uh, building seven on the left, a controlled demolition on the right. Is there any similarity? Is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation, at least into the possible use of explosives, especially since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition with explosives, especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse, has never brought down a skyscraper. In fact, it should have been the only seriously considered hypothesis, given the evidence here. You talk about Oxum, Occam's razor. Uh, this, is, this is what Occam's razor was, was trying to highlight, that the simplest, most direct um, uh, hypothesis is often uh, the one to go for. But yeah. this uh, spins a web uh, and takes us on a, a wild journey. Uh, again, seven years after 9-11, when all the engineers have forgotten about Building 7, if they ever knew about it. We uh, in the American Institute of Architects have not uh, seen one bulletin uh, issued on this building's collapse. I mean, that's absolutely extraordinary and unheard of that we wouldn't even be educated, 90,000 architects, of which I'm a, a member of the American Institute of Architects. The American Society of Civil Engineers commandeered this, this uh, 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 investigation from the very beginning. And uh, the, many of them, from these hand-picked volunteers working themselves into the FEMA report, they worked themselves into the NIST report as well. Uh, controlling uh, everything that came out from this investigation from a top-down and non-peer-reviewed perspective. Yeah, that's how they, they like to tighten things up pretty quick when these kind of things happen. Let me ask you real quick, um, how how did this affect your career when you, because you didn't just sign on or just start sharing stuff. You took this as your your cause and you started this organization did this, did you, were you seen as a, as a crazy guy or did this hurt your ability to earn a living? You'd sacrifice a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I took it head on, uh, on the offensive. Uh, I worked for a firm with 15 architects in, in May of 2006, March. Uh, and I, I, I started talking to people and most of them thought I was nuts. Uh, absolutely. Um, but I said, okay, I'm putting together a PowerPoint uh, presentation on this. I borrowed Stephen Jones's PowerPoint, added a whole bunch of great stuff to it that I was learning. You know, in a few months, I had something together and, and all, I, I bought them pizza to get them to come watch this. And they, so they, I got all 15 of them there. And by the end of 45 minutes, all 15 of them said, well, they said things like, oh, my God, you're right. These are controlled demolitions. And they all signed my petition, except my boss, who was Middle Eastern. He, he didn't want to sacrifice uh, the reputation that Middle Easterners got if they questioned the government. Right. I mean, they, they were they were under fire at that time. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, the first 15 architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I was right. really happy about that unanimous response. You recruited them. That's what a lot of the early 9-11 truth stuff was. It was like, check out this presentation, check out this DVD, let's watch it at my place, make some popcorn. And, uh, you know, if, if the evidence is, is presented in a compelling way, it's a pretty, 
pretty easy case. You just have to get through that damn barrier that everyone seems to have this internal block to questioning things that go against the prevailing narrative because it makes them strange or uncomfortable. And I see a lot of the parallels here uh, with the COVID stuff. We have another question from Facebook. Mike Smith says, wasn't thermite used to melt the columns that would explain the fires burning for days? Can you talk about the presence of, uh, you mentioned Stephen Jones's work, the presence of thermite or thermate, and then what I think is another smoking gun, literally and figuratively, is the presence of the molten metal and just heat that lasted for months, not just days. It lasted for months. Well, all of this applies equally to Building 7 and the Twin Towers. Uh, in, in the case of Building 7, particularly, uh, well, uh, the, the FEMA report came out in 2007. Uh, it it highlighted in Appendix C the metallurgical examination of the steel. So this is not Stephen Jones or other conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. This is the hot sulfur corrosion attack described and documented on the steel with liquid molten iron. And you can see molten metal falling out of the uh, crab claw excavators here. And, and it's extraordinary. Uh, so Dr. Jones put this together, but he found a lot of it substantially documented by FEMA themselves. And when NIST took over in 2004 from FEMA, they threw out the metallurgical examination, hmm. which described this hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel beams. The author of that report, Jonathan Barnett, says the ends of the steel beams were partly evaporated. Wow. Now that takes 4,000 degrees. The pictures you're showing of molten metal is it requires 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And so what can produce those temperatures is what Stephen Jones ended up proving was also in the aftermath, the residue uh, at the World Trade Center. But he, he highlighted first the evidence provided by the U.S. Geological Survey in their 2005 particle atlas of the World Trade Center dust, billions of previously molten iron microspheres in all the World Trade Center dust samples. Now, what does that mean? First of all, they're spheres meaning they, they, we're talking about, and they're iron. Iron takes, tw again, 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit to melt. So billions of molten iron microspheres, not steel, but iron. Uh, we haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years or so. This is iron. What is iron? Well, I, molten iron is the byproduct of thermite, an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. And it can be formulated, as you see here, uh, into nanothermite, which is what Dr. Jones and his team of eight independent colleagues uh, also found throughout all the World Trade Center dust samples, seven altogether that they that they uh, uh, found. And they zoomed in uh, because it, they were curious. It, it's attracted by a magnet, these small red-gray chips, about a sixteenth of an inch large. They zoomed in uh, 50,000 times and found that the red layer is composed of what? The ingredients of thermite, iron oxide, which is basically rust, and aluminum powder mixed in this bed of oxygen, silica, carbon, uh, organic material. 
Well, they get real curious, put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, and it ignites, producing a lot more energy, which paint does not do. They thought at first this was paint, uh, unusual uh, primer paint or something. Uh, but no, it produces all this energy. And, and what does it do? What does it also produce? It produces the molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found and documented by the U.S. Geological Survey and all the World Trade Center dust samples. Mm. So they proved where those iron spheres came from that the USGS found. And so this is a, a called, it's, it's peer-reviewed in the, in the literature. It's called um, uh, super thermite. What they do is they, they, oh, they, and they also found that these particles are, are a, a thousand times smaller than a diameter of a human hair. They're nanoparticles. This is engineered nanotechnology designed to make an incendiary thermite much more explosive um, because they reduce the, in reducing the size, the, the volume increases exponentially which is one of the great attributes of nanotechnology. And you get a virtually instantaneous chemical reaction. Thus, it's more explosive. So you see, this is an internally consistent, self-corroborating set of repeatable data uh, that, uh, that's, that, that can be used to bring the real perpetrators uh, to justice here. We're not talking, this stuff's not made in a cave in Afghanistan. No. It's it, you got to have high level military activity or some crazy uh, uh, military industrial complex corporation. Who knows? But this stuff alone is just so damning and such big smoking guns. But there's this phenomenon that takes place whenever people present the truth. They get ridiculed. They get shamed. They lose their tenure. They lose their professorship. And. I think there's a deterrent that happens where people don't want to speak up if they have more evidence. They don't want to be ridiculed. A lot of people have families and they just care about their bottom line. So it's kudos to all the truth seekers out there that have risked immensely for no profit, for no benefit to try to find find the truth. I want to definitely spend some time uh, getting up to date on some of the new things that you guys are doing and some of the resources that people can share. But before we get to that, can you share with us some of the smoking guns in regards to building one and two? A lot of what we talked about is building seven and building one and two. But can you talk about some of the, the things that you observed that are pretty damning in regards to Tower One and Two, the, the big boys? Yeah. Uh, the official story tells us that the, the 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 fires caused the 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 floors to sag, pulling in the perimeter columns, uh, weakening them enough to cause the upper portion above the point of jet plane impacts, 15 stories in the case of the North Tower, 30 stories in the case of the South Tower, to then drive down to the ground the entire building and then destroy itself. That's called the crush down, crush up theory by uh, Zdenek Bazant, who submitted this extremely complex paper, by the way, in, into this peer-reviewed journal by the American Society of Civil Engineers just two days prior to 9-11. Well, in that paper, which remains the key theoretical basis for NIST's uh, column failure theory, uh, in that paper, they uh, actually... Uh, remove a whole set of columns, a whole a whole story of columns, so that it could develop a false drop of 12 feet, and and then begin a dynamic impact. 
Well, that never happened. That's not reality. I'm they sorry. Also, just just to, let me interrupt you real quick. Just a second ago, did, you said that the theory that was utilized to describe this inward bowing phenomenon, that theory was produced. It came about just two days before 9-11. Is that Sorry. what you said? I meant two days after 9 <laughs> Okay. Did I, I like, say before? <laughs> that would be really that. good. Yeah. You know, but we're all in shock uh, on 9-11. Yeah. What the hell's happening? Are we being attacked? Uh, mm-hmm. We finally realized that we were actually under attack. And here's this bozo structural engineer uh, uh, working on the theoretical basis that uh, that did become uh, the, the, the whole just to justify this collapse initiation theory. Uh, so it's absolutely amazing. But in that, in that paper, he also uh, rigged the, the, the weight of the upper part of the building, the mass of that building uh, three times um, and, and it, that more than it was. And then he weakened the, the building below its capacity to resist that was weakened uh, by four times. So this whole thing was rigged more than 12 to one in favor of a collapse, which so we've submitted uh, a response uh, 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 to this, but uh, the ASCE will not uh, publish it. Why? They say it's out of scope. Well, how is that out of scope to to challenge the the, the mathematical work of of a, of a theory that's been previously published in your paper. So uh, we have an ethics uh, uh, challenge uh, to them uh, right now, which is going really well, actually. So stand by for, for tunes on that. But anyway, besides the, 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 the mathematics here, the upper part, the lightest part of a structure, it's a virtual pyramid. You know, the, you've got three-eighths inch thick steel columns and beams at the very, very top, and then solid steel, 52 inches by 22 inches at the very bottom and, and varying all the way. So the it's like a Volkswagen running into a Mack truck. It's not going to destroy the Mack top truck. It doesn't matter if you drop the Volkswagen on the Mack truck. It, it can't destroy it. So this is also a, a complete lie. But then what, what you have with these witnesses I talked about uh, earlier on, we've got dozens of them in our webinar called, by the way, 9-11 an architect's guide, a three-part series. Part one is building seven. Part two is the explosiveness of the Twin Towers. Part three is the extreme heat, which we've just uh, discussed a little earlier. But now with regard to the explosiveness, the, these first responders heard explosions of them, 156 heard explosions. And and then uh, the building begins to fall. And they're very particular, most of them, in terms of that order. These explosions are not the result of the building falling. It's very, very clear uh, on, in general about that. And then you, after that, uh, the building falls without hesitation, without impacting parts of itself, and then stopping or even slowing down. It is a smooth acceleration straight down through 80,000 tons of structural steel. It's three to five times stronger than it needs to be needed to be to resist that. But it's not slowing it down whatsoever, meaning that steel had to be removed. 90% of it, actually, because it is falling at uh, two-thirds of freefall acceleration. 
straight down, um, uh, largely straight down. There's 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 some angling here and there. In the case of the South Tower, the the South Tower actually begins to tip 22 degrees, but then it writes itself as as its uh, fulcrum is being undermined by these explosions, which you can see as squibs uh, out of the side of the South Tower, dozens of squibs. And in terms of both towers, these explosions are occurring 20, 40, even 60 stories down below the point of jet plane impacts. What are explosions doing down below? The media doesn't alert us to this. NIST doesn't well, NIST actually has an answer to this very frequently asked question, which they finally put up on their website, the FAQ section, years later. You can see the explo- the squibs right there, but just look down below all of these um, uh, laterally discharged, uh, freely flying structural steel sections weighing four and eight tons, discharged at 80 miles an hour, clocked by physicists, landing 600 feet in every direction. This is enough energy to hurl a 300-pound cannonball, or 200-pound cannonball, three miles, an extraordinary display of force. I mean, gravity works down. All this is out. In fact, by the way, it's giant heavy steel beams. It's not just dust and little concrete. It's like the structure of the building is shooting outward. It's nuts. And about 98% of them are hurled outside the footprint of the building. You know what that means? It means that they're not available to crush the building. Mm. They've landed in a 1,400-foot diameter around each of the towers. And so what's crushing the building? Yeah. What's I mean, think about this. Cars. People say, well, maybe it's the concrete. Well, the concrete is being pulverized in midair to a yeah. fine powder, which is distributed over a three square mile area. Wow. It's not, fa- there aren't pancakes found at the bottom of either of these towers. They, they've been pulverized. So that's two thirds the weight of the building that's not even available to crush this building. I mean, we have some real problems here with the official story, as you can tell. Yeah, big time. I um for the podcast audience, I'm sure you've found I, I'm gonna link to all these videos at the, the post, livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. So if you just listen on on in your car ride or if you listen on the podcast feed, you won't have access to all these videos. So if you want to follow up with this the visuals that we're describing, which are extremely compelling, then you can go to livefreenow.show and find this post with uh with Richard Gage. Okay, we have about 15 minutes left with you. Uh, I think that what we've covered is pretty substantial, and I'd like to cover take the last 15 minutes to talk about some of the work that you guys are doing. Can you share uh, real quick with us what came out of University Alaska Fairbanks and, and why it's important? Yes, we raised uh, over $300,000 from thousands of our supporters to hire one of the top forensic structural engineers in the country, Professor Leroy Halsey, to engage in a four-year study of this building, its collapse. And he, he started looking at the NIST report and he found all kinds of problems with it, things that didn't add up, the, the input data, but he used their input data anyway and found that the building would not have collapsed under the temperature loads that uh, NIST used, the same, same temperature loads. So uh, he found that if the building if we actually take out those three columns that NIST says eventually failed, uh, the building would tip. 
And that makes sense, right? You take out corn, uh, columns near the corner of a building, the building's going to tip over. He also found that the only way to get that building to collapse in the manner it did was to take out the core columns first, followed 1.3 seconds later by the perimeter columns. And indeed, that building falls on that uh, uh, in his computer modeling, just like the video uh, of the actual collapse. And so he says this was not a progressive collapse caused by an initiating series of failures, as NIST claims. He says this is a, uh, a global collapse caused by the failure of every column in the building at once. And what could wow. do that? Controlled demolition. Definitely not being, you know, splattered or uh, plastered with the debris. And the core columns would be even less likely to be damaged by the collapse of building one and two. So that's absolutely nuts. Okay, so what was, you know, one of my struggles, um, and I've just come to acceptance, is that being in 9-11 Truth for 18, 19 years now, is almost 20 years, is that um, even though this evidence is just so obvious, it seems, there doesn't seem to have been much justice that's come from it. Has Were there any successes? or I mean, just having this evidence in itself is a success, but has there been anything that has come as a result of this? Can you share any uh, anybody that's been held accountable, anybody that's at least been compensated in a civil suit as a result of this? I know a lot of the first responders were very sick and a lot of them died and developed cancer because of that pyrocrastic sludge and all the inhaling all that garbage chemicals. But what's come of all of this in, in almost 20 years? Well, um, we have done our part for 14 years to make sure that something does. We've been we, we, we have active projects every month ongoing. Um, we, we have been to all of our congressmen, uh, uh, almost, well, every other year on average, uh, giving them the petition, the brochure, the DVDs that we have. Um, and we have gone to the media, the mainstream media, and of course the alternative media who, who has uh, covered it much much better. Oh yeah. Um, uh, we have gotten on CNN uh, uh, with hit pieces uh, like uh, ch challenging our uh, alternative brochure to the 9/11 Museum, the other story about 9/11, um, and uh, which we were handing out at the museum, which is a great project. We've got our engineer Tony Zambodi, the author of the report I highlighted earlier, that was. Um, uh, submitted to the American Society of Civil Engineers. He and family member Bob McElvain were on uh, Geraldo Rivera in November of 2014. And they, they, um, we, we, we have things changed? Not enough. Certainly not enough. We're trying to put the dent. It's like pushing a huge rock up a big hill putting it, uh, you know, getting a dent in the side of, of this ship. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, that's what that was the big, big mind blower of me. The fact that uh, the media didn't report any of the alternative evidence and just yeah. repeated the lie. Um, well, we found out that there can, there's only five uh, now. Yeah. Now five um, 
corporations that run the mainstream media. Well, who runs those corporations? It's the same individuals on the board of directors. They're interlocked in the arms industry, the oil yeah. industry, the banking industry, the insurance mm-hmm. industry. So we're up against a, a, a big effort, but we're with the film coming out on building seven uh, called seven, uh, which is now on iTunes and Vudu and, and Hulu uh, and prime Amazon prime. Um, we, uh, people can watch this 45 minute video about the uh, an finite element analysis that professor Halsey did at the university of Alaska. And uh, it's the story about him. It's, it's the backstory and the, and the technical evidence about what happened there. We talked about it substantially. But uh, that's uh, created by Dylan Avery, uh, maker of Loose Change. Yeah, that really got a lot of people involved in this whole movement. Man, that went viral before viral was a thing. And he did a great job. And it's getting really good reviews, actually, out there in the public on these platforms. And, so, and we have the DVD that we're uh, selling now uh, in the store at ae911truth.org. So people can buy it there too. Let's, uh, there's a two minute trailer. I want to play it here uh, for our audience. The folks that are watching live or watching on the video after the fact can see it. And there's some good information for those that are listening. So let's go ahead and give this uh, a two minute listen here real quick. Well, it's been a point of controversy now for more than a decade. A researcher now from the University of Alaska Fairbanks is weighing in. My name is Leroy Halsey. That's my middle name. And I'm a structural engineering professor here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He led a four-year study which reevaluates whether Building 7's collapse could have been caused by fire. Building 7 of the World Trade Center came down. It was never hit by an airplane. It fell because thermal expansion caused a fire-induced progressive collapse. And we'd never experienced, prior to that day, a steel frame building collapsing due to fire. Just didn't happen. Was there a possibility it could lead up to failure through these fundamentals that NIST looked at and said they could, I looked at and said they could? The way they modeled it was somewhat pushing the limit, putting it mildly. NIST said it was a fire problem, but yet I did not see any change to our codes. I mean, I think the work that we're doing is ultimately going to make the difference. I have that confidence. Because I I know the truth always comes out. If there's a problem with the collapse of Building 7, there's a problem with 9-11. Wow, that's... That's there you have it. That's really powerful. It looks like it's done super professional like Hollywood. Was that Ed Asner's voice there at the end? Yeah. Yeah. He's in the film. He narrates it anyway. Uh, he's done a great job uh, for us from, from from 10 years ago. He's been with us. Awesome guy. So, yeah, this film is is designed to be um, uh, appeal to to uh all people uh not just uh technical people but uh we we tried to 
to, to draw that line so we could really get people interested in in in, in this building and its failure and the, the fraudulence of the NIST report is totally exposed. Right on. Can you share, uh, we're about to wrap up. Can you share how people can support you? Are you guys doing any fundraising right now? I understand that this is a, a decentralized grassroots community and it was cool to hear that you, that the community raised over $300,000 to do this really compelling evidence. And now we have this awesome visual representation and story that goes behind that with this documentary seven. Uh, how can people support the work that you're doing and support nine 11 truth? Yes, this is our um, year end fundraising drive actually occurring right now, the month of December. Uh, so that we can gear up for 2021, which we expect to be our major breakthrough year, partially because of of this film. Um, but also we're taking um, into the UK legal system uh, an inquest, uh, a, a petition for an inquest to the uh, top court structure in uh, the UK. Uh, because Jeff Campbell lost his life, he was murdered in the 106th story of the North Tower. And uh, we uh, have been raising funds uh, and succeeded uh, in, in getting the, the, being able to hire the, the top, uh, one of the top, U, uh, one of the top attorneys in London. Uh, so that is being submitted this month also. So we still need support. Um, for that exciting project, but we have six employees, uh, and and we are working day and night, uh, often trying to get these various projects done and into the hands of the media, uh, the government, um, and 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 the academic institutions. This film, for instance, we're going to be distributing to every uh, engineer in the country and every architect. So we've got a lot of work to do, and it costs dollars, and we really appreciate support. So people can donate at ae911truth.org. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program and sharing all of the insight and wisdom you have on this topic. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I know you've been at it for quite some time, and I think what's important is the persistence. We can't just let this go. It was a travesty not only for the people that lost their lives, but for the loss of liberties and the loss of Middle Eastern lives and innocence overseas. And we see the police state and surveillance state is just growing like crazy. And 9-11 was a big, a, cataclys a cataclysmic event, right? As they said with the project for New American Century. So we can't, uh, we can't let it go. And uh, thank you for, for leading the charge. Yeah, thank you, John. Appreciate being here. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. Again, the website is ae911truth.org. That's ae911truth.org. And this was a huge event, total false flag terror act that resulted in a lot of devastating and terrible things. So if you were a 9-11 truther back in the day, but you kind of uh, lost your groove, I strongly suggest you to get it back. We're coming up on 20-year anniversary, and uh, now is a better time than ever for there to be justice. All right, this is John Bush with the Live Free Now Show. Again, if you're tuned into the podcast, I invite you to go over to livefreenow.show. I'll have all these links and the videos that we referenced and some of the things and reports that Richard referenced throughout the interview, and uh, you'll be able to see that so you can really uh, get a nice visual understanding of what took place that day. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Peace and freedom. I'm out. Mm -hmm.